microphone hanging on a clothesline. None of us needed headphones because we were just sitting next to it, talking into it. Most organised he's been in the entirety of this podcast was in the first three episodes when he was sitting next to a clothesline. Yeah, when he was at his house and I drove everything to him. <laughs> the easiest way. That's to what put happened. It. You instilled bad habits from the beginning, yeah. and I took them on into my adulthood. And then there was some lady came out of her backyard and started yelling at someone's dog in the middle. I think I had to cut that out. Anyway. Welcome to the Nice Shift Football Podcast, episode 143. It is all over for the Ruse in the Asian Cup. Second consecutive quarterfinal exit, but our man Craig Goodwin played a starring role. Premier League footy kicked back in with a double up of games. we got the best of that, as well as a fantasy update. Stay tuned. Here we go. This could be a rough one, uh, a rough one. We've all got the grumps, I think, with a particular football team slash manager. Uh, we're going to start straight with the Socceroos, I think. Tommy is here. Hey, man, how you going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm reeling from the Socceroos early exit, but, you know, life yeah. goes on, doesn't it? It does go on. Uh, Cooper, you're here as well. How are you doing, man? Not bad, Sam. Not bad. How are you? Yeah, lovely. Excellent. Uh, we I've got the grumps with the ruse, but you know we're fresh off a uh, fresh off a the the baseball Adelaide Giants getting a win because Adelaide United are no good. So someone's got to do do good yeah, for the state. You, you said the grumps with a certain football team and a certain manager, and I actually thought you were talking about United and Carlin. <laughs> you said the ruse, <laughs> and I thought, geez, it is just grim at the minute, isn't it? <laughs> take your pick. Take your pick. Flip a coin. Ruse or the Reds? They're both giving me the shits at the moment. Um. Let's talk about the ruse, though. The first thing I wanted to ask you both, I'll go to you first, Tommy, but it's quite simple, really. Arnie out, question mark. I know you really just want a one-word answer from me, but... No, I don't. I want you to go for it and tell me what you think. After reading Robbie Slater's uh, 500 <laughs> column of defence in uh, yeah. Arnie We Trust, I think i finally come around. He's got oh, me. He's persuaded he's, you. He's, yeah, he's finally made enough brain-dead points. It's making me think if someone has allegedly. a guy as loyal, yeah, allegedly, sorry, a, a guy as loyal as Robbie Slater to his cause, I mean, how could he be wrong? So stick with him. Let's see the end of his contract. What's your real answer? Fuck no. <laughs> he should have been gone after the World Cup. Like, yeah. don't renew. We did this like a year ago. Yeah. We did. We saw this coming. Because we know what saying. happens now. Like, we go to a World Cup. And we do okay, and we probably na- make the knockout round somehow. And then mm. they give him another Asian Cup. <laughs> we do this again like, <laughs> down the road. Like all of a sudden, it's twenty sixty four, and I'm sitting here asking for Arnie to be out, and Robbie Slater's still penning articles, drooling all over his page. Oh my gosh! Or his keyboard, or whatever he's going to be using. Um, Cooper, I'll ask you the same question: Arnie out? Question mark. Uh yes. I'll go with the the simple one word answer. Um, I'm sure we have plenty to say on and after, but yes, yeah, sure, okay. Well, I was just gonna plan to um, just have a bit of. I was gonna have that chat now before we even talk to the game, but you can we can curb it for later if you want. But no, um, we can. We I think can do like it now. sure, like I think I just think the gist of it is like, uh, like he's had three quarterfinal exits. One you can probably forgive was a long time ago, but that's two in a row now, and. Just quite simply, Australia being in the top eight in Asia is just simply not good enough. Like, like, um, 
whether you have bad luck with the draw or what, like it's still just not good enough. We have to be doing better. We should be in the top two or three. Tom, you said to me on the weekend, you think final minimum. Yeah, it's finals or bust for me. I just, even even when you see, you talk about tough draws, the way that the draw opened up, I think we would ended up paying Jordan in the semifinals. And, you know, there's not the, the kind of quality of side that, you know, we anticipated to be left in this tournament. We could very yep. much easily have won this tournament if you can just beat one good team. Yeah. And, you know, that shouldn't be too much of an ask. Like you said, top eight Asian nation, you have to be top two. Yeah. Like, just the advantages we have in sport and the head start that we had against a lot of these developing Asian nations, we have squandered it. It is wasted. Yeah, absolutely. They've caught up, man. The um, There'll be people, I guess, uh, may- maybe not many, but Arnie defenders might look at Japan being knocked out as an excuse for Australia. So, mm. see, look, even Japan got knocked out. But I'd imagine <laughs> Japan are fucking reeling with it as well. Like, they are not – they'd be pissed too. Oh, know? bro, heads will roll. So, um, yeah, I I definitely think it should be rolling out. It's just, you know, it's it's gone on long enough. Cooper, what do you – I don't know. What do you make of this quarterfinal exit? Uh, there's just mistakes made, I think. I think you have to, in a sense, and I don't want to do it because I've said it a million times that, like you said, this results-based football that Graham Arnold is obsessed with playing, we we hate watching it and we don't think it should be a thing and we don't think yep. it should be how Australia play in, the, in these tournaments. But this game against South Korea is what we've talked about a million times is this is the game that Arnie Ball, if you will, was made for. The first 75 minutes of this game, everything that... Arnold set up to do and Australia were trying to do succeeded. And if, you know, Mitchell Duke on another day puts one of those two chances away, then we're not, we're not having this conversation. We're yeah, going into a, into a semi-final against Jordan with Japan eliminated on the other side of the bracket, but, um, but they didn't win. And, and that's why we are having this conversation because now they're out and we have to talk about, it. and it looks like it's South Korea's tournament for the taking. Now they should, really yeah, go absolutely. on and win this. So it's it's a hugely disappointing spot to go out. Um, but I just think he got his tactics wrong in a sense of like, if this is what he's going to do, then why did he... It's the Arnie Ball sit deep, low block, you know, maintain, withstand the pressure and then break and get forward and, and try and be... There is parts of Arnie Ball where they do try and be positive in possession when they go forward. And obviously that's where the the goal came from and the opportunities for Mitch Duke came from. We saw that, you know, it's not a park the bus situation because Nathaniel Atkinson's mm. gone flying up the up yeah. the wing from right fullback and, and got the assist for the Craig Goodwin goal. Um, but the substitutions that Graham Arnold made in this game don't feed into the way that Arnie Ball exists to play. When he, on, on, quite frankly, to me, he panicked and he made four really negative substitutions from probably the 70th minute on. Yeah, in about and, four minutes. And it, and it really hurt the way that they were playing this game. Um, Craig Goodwin, we know, had been under the weather, supposedly carrying this niggle. So he brought uh, Yordi Boss on. I don't think the substitution was to do with Goodwin being injured at all. I just think he made this substitution because he wanted to get Boss on and he didn't want to take Aziz Bayic off. And I'd mm. understand that if that was because he didn't want to touch his defence. But then he took Nathaniel Atkinson, who had had the best 73 minutes of his Socceroos career so far, off the pitch for Lewis Miller, who we all know went on to have... A, a nightmare. Yeah, man, I, yeah. I, I rate Lewis Miller as a player, and I think Same. he's got for his future. But you know, he wasn't good in this game. 
Um, and then Riley McGree and Aidan O'Neill. Is, is Riley McGree is a, is a more attacking substitution, and Aidan O'Neill probably is too, going away from Keanu Backus and Connor Metcalf. So when you go a little bit more negative with two of your substitutions, but a little bit more positive with two of them, it makes no sense. And then especially, you know, with five minutes to go in normal time, a centre back on for your right winger. So Goodwin's off the pitch, Boyle's off the pitch. You've got Mitch Duke up front who offers zero mobility whatsoever, which left Riley McGree absolutely nothing to link with. And if you were going to have a midfielder in there that needed someone to link with, then why would you take the wingers off? Or why would you put McGree on in the first place? It's just super confusing. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of chat at the moment. Like, I know... Um... Australia probably cost themselves with poor finishing in this game, and that's not Arnie's fault that they finished poorly. But, you know, other results in the way we've played through this tournament, like Arnie's the one who's picked as his baits to play the whole tournament at left-back, despite his A-League form, and left Geordie Bosch a left-back uh, on the left wing, things like that. Um, some of the choices we made in other games, just getting the midfield wrong or the the partnerships in midfield, especially getting the wrong, no balance there. Um and that was a big in... one, wasn't it? Like yeah. it almost it almost screams of him not really understanding what his midfielders can do. And like stage. Cooper was just like Cooper was just saying about the McGree and O'Neill substitution, what it did is it created that massive gap between the back five and the two midfielders because they're not naturally deep lying midfielders. You got two guys trying to run forward and link up with nobody because he's taken the wingers off as well. Yeah. The, the subs were just bonkers. Well, yeah. I, I think the the Keanu backer substitution was reactionary to what South Korea did. Uh, Song Hyun Min played in the 10 during this game um, and Keanu Backus ran with him for 70 minutes and all bar one or two moments, did Keanu Backus was Australia's best player on the pitch because yeah. outside yeah. of probably Craig Goodwin. But Keanu Backus ran toe-to-toe with one of the best players in world football and honestly for 90% of the time shut him down. But then uh, Cho Gyu Sung was taken off by South Korea in the 69th minute of this game and Son went back to a wing and they put a more natural attacking midfielder in, in midfield and instantly Arnold reacted and took Keanu Backus off. But then that attacking midfielder they brought on ran rampant in the space that Keanu Backus was no longer occupying because yeah. he brought Riley McGree on. <laughs> so whether that's potentially paying the right amount of respect to, to Son, which was really smart on Arnie's behalf and it worked, but then when Son went out wide and they put another very capable footballer in attacking midfield, not paying enough respect to the next guy because because he didn't have the name. He wasn't a Premier League footballer and it, it backfired hugely. Um, oh, you, know, you reckon he didn't do his homework? I, I don't know. I don't think that's the case because I know, I know yeah. these professional managers, we know there's, they're all sitting down sure. doing the right thing. But it is hard in, in tournaments when you've got to make a split decision like that and you see a guy like Son move position, that's, move where, your brain's, that's where your brain's going to go. How do I protect yeah. that space? And whether he thought that Lewis Miller, fresh legs a little bit more, a little bit more pace than capable the of going with him. Yeah, might have been more capable of going with him or not. I mean, I guess we'll never know because we didn't see Atkinson go one-on-one with Son on the left. Um, the one thing I almost seems to... like a shame in retrospect because he probably would have worked. I think potentially, yeah, I think so too. Um, Sam made a comment before saying that it's not Arnie's fault that Mitch Duke didn't finish and that we didn't win this game. And mm-hmm. and on this hand, I'm very much like I agree with you. And then the Arnie pessimist on the other hand says to me that Graham Arnold is the is the guy that decided to live or die by Mitch Duke as the number nine in this Socceroos squad so when it's worked like when he put us through to the knockouts in the world cup live by it but when he's a major part of the reason that they were knocked out of this tournament because he didn't put his chances away 
Arnie has to die by that decision too because yeah. he made the choice over the last two years post-World or a year post-World Cup, but the last four years in his tenure, he made the choice to not blood another another Socceroo striker and to stick with Mitch Duke consistently and consistently and consistently. He- so when he doesn't perform and he's a major part of going out of this tournament, then Arnie has to die by that as much as he lived by the success. Yeah, I, I somewhat agree. I don't know. I think it's more a case in this situation with the Duke thing. It became it became more just a case that Mitch Duke was the best of the lot, really, like the best of a bad bunch, and there was no one else really knocking on that door. And, you know, Jamie McLaren should have been the guy, really, and he mm. got chance after chance and he wouldn't take him. And Duke, Duke was... Yeah was getting the runs on the board a little bit. You know, he was kind of, he was doing what no one else really could and so ended up being the guy. Um, And I think we all came around on this pod to the fact that he had to be purely because of, somewhat also because of Arnie's kind of boring style of play and stuff, but which he also, he can can die by that. Um, I'm I'm not convinced he has to fall on the Mitch Duke one. Um, Now it's a perfect opportunity though to start fresh, I would say. You know, going away from this tournament, we we know Mitch Duke's capabilities are very limited, and we can he can only do one style of like we can only play one style of football with him up there, um, and that has its that has its um, benefits at times and against certain opposition, but you know we're coming up, we've got our next two fixtures are in March against Lebanon. Do I want? I don't want to see Mitch Duke out there no. against Lebanon when they've got the bus parked, and we're hoping he can just the ball can bounce off him and go in somehow, like. I think yep. this is where I was at with Jamie McLaren, though, is that you're right about Mitch Duke, and I agree. I think, you know, he was the best of the lot, best of an underperforming attacking core. He'd earned his spot. And, yeah. and he'd earned his spot, and he should have been there. But then we're also talking, like you said, Jamie McLaren over the last probably four to six years or four years has had chance after chance after chance and not taken them. Then why in that time have we not? You know, whether no one's performing in, in world football, so what? Because there's guys in this Socceroos squad, like we we pointed out, Paddy Yazbek and things like that, that haven't played a competitive... Marco Tilio hasn't played a competitive game at club yeah. level for, you know, six to 12 months now, but they're in this squad. Why not, during these friendlies or during these qualifiers pick a bunch of different Australian strikers that are the best performing outside of what you've tried already and just see if someone can work into this this squad and, and find a place in this squad because it was never going to be Jamie McLaren. Jamie McLaren, like you said, chance after chance after chance. Yep. And then in his last, in the last qualifier, the last warm-up game before this tournament, before the squad was picked, scored a hat-trick and then was left at home. If, it baffles if, me he was even he was, given the chance to get that hat-trick, yeah. to be this honest. This is what I mean. If he was never going to take McLaren in the That's first it. place, why was he given that opportunity? Yeah, yeah. No, 100%. This is why I was so pleased Yankee got the inclusion because this is the idea of trying to build now the next, uh, the next striker for this country. But if he was the option now, why wasn't he an option a year ago or a year and a half ago, two years ago? I think we can really bemoan uh, the injuries to Adam Taggart. I, I yeah. really think he would have been the guy. I think he would have been the foil to Duke and you would have had a nice, if you're going to play that boring Arnie ball, he would have been the nice 60-minute uh, option than Duke for 30 minutes later. This he's, is uh, the- he's, sorry, Taggart is just on Taggart. He's come back into it now and we'll talk about him a bit in the in our Red Edition pod later, but he's come into his time now, but it's just kind of just time that run a little bit late, I think. And like you said, the injuries just before missed. just ha- didn't quite work for him overseas as well as it would have liked either. Yeah. For me, this was the, 
against Denmark when Australia were chasing a goal and Arnie went narrow and put Matthew Leckie up front by himself and that little extra bit of a, a, a pacey outlet that can can move on the ball. This was the Martin Boyle go central game and, oh, and let Martin cool. Boyle lead the last line because I, I don't I the performance yeah. that Mitchell Duke had during during this tournament he wasn't great. Um I, I think I'm right in saying he went goalless during this tournament, even though he played a majority of minutes other than the one game he missed with the injury. Um, but, you know, fresh back from injury. This is his first start since coming back from being injured. And he's played 92 minutes. He was the last attacker to come off the pitch of the starting front three. Perhaps it was a Martin Boyle goes central and is a bit of an outlet leading the line rather than Mitch Duke, who it just wasn't happening for at all, playing 92 minutes. Yeah, that's what kind of makes you think the Goodwin thing was bullshit as well. Like you're bringing him off because he has an injury cloud and yet Duke is going to run out 90 minutes plus extra time. Like it's, and it, you know, we haven't really, um, we haven't talked about Goodwin. Um, King, obviously. Let's do it now. Ends up being what? Top scorer for the comp- uh, for the tournament for us. Uh, with joint two. top scorer? I yeah, with, with two. two. <laughs> with two. Yep. He's, gone the old, he's gone the old Fernando Torres at the, um, at the Euros top goal scorer. But he was um, excellent. And this the whole notion around Arnie mismanaging his players, that weird comment that he made midway through the tournament that maybe he thinks Goodwin is an impact player off the bench. Ridiculous. When you see the impact in five minutes he has, and then you start him in this game and his quality just shines throughout. If you're going to play in a team that's going to have, what, 26% of the ball, make a third of the passes of your opposition... You need a guy that can stand over and give you one or two genuinely world-class crosses or do something yeah. in the link-up, which Craig Goodwin offers. I think Goodwin also offers just some underrated abilities in that in that position where, you know, you don't think of him as the bursting winger who's going to beat players, but you, like you mentioned, his crossing. And I noticed there were plenty of other, other times in the game where, you know, Craig Goodwin's getting closed down two-on-one on the sideline and he he's able to hold off one while making an angle enough to find a pass to someone else and we retain the ball rather mm-hmm. than just kind of, you know, knocking it somewhere or trying to flick it forward and we lose it like Bosch had done a, a few times in other games. And that's not a, a negative on Bosch. He's just a different type of player to Craig at the moment. Um, That's not yep. really his strength. But Craig's got the composure and the experience now too to and the, the head on his shoulders to be able to deal with that sort of stuff. And it's so important in just retaining the ball and deflating your opposition because you're you're not just losing it and giving it back to them and under the pump again. I uh, I wanted to ask Graham Arnold in his post match press conference. I'm not sure if either of you t- came across this comment. Uh, I'll read the the BN Sports headline is that Australian coach Graham Arnold said he was impressed by what he termed a regenerating Socceroos squad after they were eliminated from the Asian Cup by South Korea, suffering a two one loss in the quarterfinals. Oh now, this to me saying regenerating. Obviously, mm. he spoke about the this is now. This squad is for the future. You know, we've come to an Asian Cup and we've, we, he's doing that thing again where he's saying we've overachieved by pushing a team like but South yeah, Korea as far there. as we did because we're, a, we're, a, we're not a fully, we're not fully there yet and we're pushing on to the next World Cup. But when are we going to be fully there? Well, but this is the man that left a bunch of kids that were good enough to be in this squad at home so they could play for the Oli Roos and, and the under 23s. This is not a regenerating squad. This is a squad full of players over 30 years old. And this was Graham Arnold's now. There's no, this is him feeding off that bullshit again. He knows what his criticism is. He, like he said, he reads the media. He knows what his criticisms are. And he's saying what the Football Federation want him to say. Like, well, this is a plan for the future. We didn't, we didn't expect to 
to come and, and win this tournament. But from the position the Socceroos were in in the 80th minute of this game, this is a failure. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, some of these guys are on the clock now. Like, Craig Goodwin's on the clock. Mitch Duke's definitely on the clock. He's 33, isn't he? Like, um, I've got a few questions here for you. The first one, these are more kind of looking forward, okay? Um, I want to talk about career later as well, just a little bit. But firstly, going forward, the Lebanon game's coming up in March. Do we just we just start Yangi, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. It's the he is the obviously you and I have the the love affair with Bruno Fornaroli, but that was very much a a this tournament and nothing going forward. This guy yeah, is thirty six years old. Like you said, Mitchell Duke is thirty three, and although he's been the best of the bunch, it hasn't been a success story for Mitchell Duke in the Socceroos squad. And Cassini Yengi is at the moment he's the path forward as a nine for the Socceroos. So absolutely, just, he he has to start going forward. Tommy, same question. That's the I you know I love Yangi. Been big advocate. I don't think he is in himself the answer. And what we really need to do is find the next striker because I just I don't see it being Yankee. Um, Why don't you see it? you don't see it being Yankee because they won't pick him or because you don't think he is up to it? No, they will pick him. I just I and I think he'll he'll do well for us, but I just don't think he is the. I mean, when we talk about next strikers, are we looking for, you know, the the next, like an impact like Son has for well, who, Korea or Salah has for Egypt? You know what I mean? Are we well, I think, I next, think we're, we're well Or just someone that's that. going to score. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the, the problem we have is that we know what makes this such a difficult question to answer is if Mitchell Duke and Bruno Fornaroli go and Cassini Yengi starts, there is no two names I could give you that replace those two yeah. other guys in this squad as number nines going forward. Perhaps you just take Garen Quoll. You just, from now on, he's just an attached piece to this squad. And whether he's not developing totally at club level or having the success, you try and develop him in a national team level as well. But mm-hmm. I, I, even outside Garen Quoll, I don't have an answer for that third spot. I think at the moment, I'm just looking, like I'm just looking striker position, like Yangi, 25 now. So 27 come World Cup in a couple of years, like, I, I just feel like, I don't know, that's kind of starting to come into your prime. And if he keeps going on the trajectory, mm-hmm. has gone. Do I think he's going to be a player of the level of Son? Absolutely not. No way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Australia in general is a long way off producing a player of that quality, um, if ever, again, you know. Um, but yeah, that's a sad realisation. I, I think he's he's probably the guy you want to target. And if... If it's going to be him, I think you're looking at games like Lebanon where he can easily play have an impact in those games. He can he can beat defenders in those games and things. He um, gets some confidence up, some experience at international level. Mm. The other question I have is, um, obviously we already spoke about Adam Taggart, but he's 30. Do you look at getting him in purely on a World Cup run basis of looking at 30? He'll be 32. Um, do, do you get him in? Or is it just too oh. late and you, he's missed the boat and we don't? Because we've we, we've given Fauna Roly just this tournament at 36. Mm. I'm sure we can afford to give Taggart a few years. I would. I would. If he can continue his goal-scoring form and, you know, remain injury-free, I don't see why he wouldn't be your third option going into a World Cup. Yeah, I would be calling him up. I would definitely be calling... Uh, I would definitely be starting Yangi, keeping Taggart on the bench. Yeah, like you said, the Fornaroli experiment, good. We tried it. It didn't really get the chance to make an impact. Uh, okay, done. 
No yep. worries. Mitch Duke will be there as well. Fine. That could be the three that you take. Sure. Um, maybe if there's a bolter in the next two years, like Alu Kual, maybe Stamatolopoulos just becomes wild and scores 20 <laughs> goals next season. Like, who knows, you know? Yeah. That's what you're kind of hanging out for, just to see someone emerge. Um, but as it is at the moment, that and, you know, Josh Nisba, I think, should be called up in midfield. But in, in terms of the striking options, yeah, I'd definitely give Tags a run. Sure. Uh, looking at career. Uh, this career team had not been, I guess all the big teams have kind of underperformed a bit. Or is that just international football is just competitive and you got to really be on top of your game to get it done. But it does feel like Australia, Japan and Korea have not been at their best. But Korea, we had a comment on TikTok from uh, Diaz. There's a number on the end, but I've forgotten it. Um, mentioning that Australia kind of, Australia have a solid kind of evenly matched team across the board. Whereas Korea have no really good role players, but they just have a few stars that are carrying them all them all the way. And in this game, we saw the goals came from Son and Huang. Uh, they've obviously got Kim at the back. Lee Kang-In's also had a brilliant tournament. Is is that the case? Are, are Australia better than Korea in other areas of the park? I think we beat them in the football match um, just by, you sure. know, the thing with Arnie is like we've never accused us of not being really, really good at absorbing pressure and counterattacking. Yeah. And you know, hitting teams in transition moments, really few transition moments. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that minimizes Korea's quality. I just I do feel like in that sense, for 70 minutes, we got the matchups right. Sure. And then when they change things around, I think, yeah, you need to see Sun out wide. I just I think he is being a little bit overcooked in the midfield because it's too easy to get two men on him at any one time if you're trying to receive the ball in those areas. So if they move him wide, play a different attacking midfielder, I think they'll definitely free up some uh, yeah. areas and look a little bit better than they did against us. There was nothing wrong with what they did. They just didn't cut us open as often or as freely as you know perhaps they should be. They just haven't really found a way to fit those three guys in there. I don't mm. know if maybe one of them just – can one of them go just up front? As a nine, and you drop Chaho or what? Like I don't know, but <laughs> trying to fit say. trying to fit three wing three wingers into two just doesn't really fit. Um, yeah. And we know Sonny's capable, but I, I think they'll go all the way now from here. My last question to you both, uh, Husey, Steve Hughes got in touch with us on Twitter uh, or X, I should say. I've dead named it again. <laughs> managers, possible managers going forward. Is it? I think it's worth having the discussion, even though they are going to keep Arnie and he'll get to the World Cup and probably get another one. Um, but what what are the options? Mourinho? Who else? Who's out there? Big Sam? <laughs> Sam Allardyce. <laughs> no, this it's is so uh, cool, hey? It's, it's an interesting one. Um, I think most are aware that the next person in line to manage his team is probably Kevin Musket. Um, and then post Kevin oh. Musket, you're potentially you're starting to talk a Tony Popovich, but I, to oh. me, to me, I think Kevin Musket is more of a forward step than a Tony Popovich because Tony Tony Popovich is seeping back into that Graham Arnold spec of a guy that's had you know he's had his success at A League level and then he he's gone overseas and and failed like utterly miserably at a different level and then come <laughs> back and and had success again at the A League level and for a national team manager we can't continually look at managers performing well at an A League level and go yep just pull the next cab off the rank every single time. Um, but to me, I think it's it's either Musket, 
uh, between Musket, Popovich, and, and maybe Tony Vidmar, who's the coach of the Oli Roos at the moment, would be the three Australian names I could throw at you. But potentially, mm-hmm. if, if Arnold was to go, it might be time for Australia to to look to an international manager again for the Socceroos. There's no chance mm-hmm. of a Stajic? Oh, I don't. I don't think so. I think the relationship so that, that yeah, Stajic yeah. has with the football federation now it's a it's a pretty severed head. Yeah, you know, you, you know what would be really fun, Joseph Gombau. Oh, Joss, he was assi- assistant to Ange. He's had good experience in the setup. Yeah, I don't, think he's, don't think he's leaving Villa for this. We we might not win a game, but fuck it, it'd be entertaining. <laughs> oh, we'll look good. <laughs> Imagine how many people he'd tell that ha- had like shit goal shit goalkeepers for sons. <laughs> <laughs> so many. Uh, I think that'll do uh, Socceroos. Pretty disappointing. Uh, like, to stay up, I didn't stay up. I watched it in the morning, but I know, uh, Cooper, you stayed up. I don't know what you did, Tommy, but the 2 a.m. kickoff was a no bloody dull stretch. I got up and watched it in the morning on the on the stream, on demand. How good, streaming era. Um, Three hours yeah, with that. It's awesome. So, so grim, but <laughs> it is what it is. Hopefully, I don't know if Craig can stick around in this squad for another couple of years. He's going to be on... He'll be 34 or so, but with his quality at the moment, if it holds out, he'll he'll be in the mix for another World Cup, I'd hope. Um, let's talk some Premier League footy. A fantasy update. Now, we've had a few people message about this, but Josh Crook has come into our league. If you're listening, Josh, well done. You're top of the league. Now, oh, what? I had people asking. He was in the old league and has been participating the entire time, all right? And so I did give him the code. He did jump in. He is. You can go check the old league. He's in there. He was playing. He just didn't realize we'd done a new league uh, and he just kept looking. So he thought he was top this whole time. Um, and then luckily for him, he, he still is. But I'm kind of getting asterisk vibes from this. Asterisk vibes? Yeah, Liverpool COVID, COVID title vibes. Uh, mm. Josh, pay more attention, all right, if you're listening next time. And everyone else. Look, we Do we better. aren't we aren't really in a position to be turning people away from a fantasy league, all right? We don't have the fan base, uh, like we don't have a big enough fan base yet to be knocking people back fantasy points, all right? So just fucking get better, okay? Build your teams. Do you know who else can get better at fantasy? Tommy, you, all right? Why am I looking at our, why am I looking at our team and we've got Son and Huang in it? Look, look. Aside from those Marty, two who are performing, Son's got the armband on. Yeah, but look who's vice captain. Can you give me a little bit of credit for Matthias Cunha, who has been an inspired draftee? Uh, Ollie Watkins is going to get captain after Son gets subbed out. So don't worry about it. 36 points from that guy. We're going to pull well this week. An injured Jesus. Well, yeah, okay. That I didn't realize that was my bad. Imagine how well we could have polled if we if we didn't have <laughs> two Koreans who are currently playing in Qatar at the moment. Unbelievable. <laughs> All right. At the moment, Brendan Simpkins, you've got the top score, but there's a game to go. By the time you hear this, that last game will be played. Cooper, you're hoping for a KDB hat-trick for City in the morning. I am, yeah. He's my. I'm sitting third at the moment, and he's got the armband on for me. So, yeah. Um, Josh Crook has the armband on Harland. If he does, if he does start and, and score a few goals, he could run away with it. Well, you'll all be spewing when the goalkeeper Mark Flecken scores a hat-trick <laughs> against City tomorrow, and Tommy and I go top of the pile. All right. Thanks. How many do you get if a goalkeeper scores? I think it's just the same as. Oh, come I'm, I'm on. pretty. That's, I'm nah, pretty convinced on. that when Allison scored the header against West Brom a couple of years ago, he's my keeper, and it's still just the regulation four points for a goal. Oh, rigged game! If your keeper scores three, you should automatically win. We keep our own <laughs> trophy. Let's talk football games. 
Uh, Saturday night, the round got underway. There was a round last week, and we got a couple of games that will tie into, but there's just been too much football to cover it all. So we'll start with the Saturday night game, Everton-Tottenham. Our boy Rishi with a double at um, at Goodison. I, I believe last time, last time Everton beat Tottenham, he'd scored two for Everton against Spurs. So interesting turn of events there. Uh, the crowd were pretty annoyed. He did the old I'm not going to celebrate thing in front of him, and they were just like, Oi, where the fuck's that been for us? Um, but a late goal, two-all draw, big point for Everton. Yeah, stoked for uh, Richarlison. I'm in. Are you? Are you on yeah, now? I'm, I'm on the redemption arc. I like it. I think it's good. I think this was his big moment to step up in the absence of Son, who had been running the show uh, in an attacking sense. And he's done that because he has consistently returned in the last uh, three, four games while Sonny's been away. So... I'm here. He's proved himself. And lovely. I kind of, I kind of like the little no celebration against Evan. It's sweet. It's kind, yeah, it's and nice. also it's it's kind of arrogant in a way because you would expect <laughs> him to celebrate, isn't it? Yeah. Would you Would you rather Richarlison run around like a fucking pigeon or just not celebrate against your club? That's, oh. that's what I, I, <laughs> that's don't know what I expected. I want um, the pigeon to backfire so bad. <laughs> my only note on this game is first question mark of the season on uh, Guglielmo Vicario. For me, this game, he uh, Everton loaded the six-yard box on corners and put the ball right above his head, and he didn't deal with it once in this game. They looked like yeah. they were going to score every time they got a corner in this one. And it's a little bit of, for Ange, it's a little bit of a nervous one because it's one of those things where you know that the 19 other clubs in this league are going to look back at this game and see that that worked, and, and they're going to start putting the pressure on Vicario a little bit. So... I have a feeling he might be getting surrounded on the training ground this week and being yeah. asked to take a few balls above his head. We had that feeling with Joe Gauci at one point last season, didn't we, at Adelaide, where he didn't deal with any corners at all well, and then the next week the team just piled him in, and then no one else did it after that, and we got away with it. Um, that'll do on that. Brighton beat Palace 4-1. I got nothing on that. Burnley 2, Fulham 2. I got nothing on that either, but Newcastle 4, Luton 4, 8 goals. Luton with 8 goals in a week after beating Brighton 4-0, um, gee whiz, what have we got here, Cooper? Are you about to apologize to Luton again or what for the hundredth time this season? Nah, three points dropped at St. James's Park for Luton. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 4 2 lead and they threw it away. Uh, <laughs> golly, is the man wrong? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think honestly, like, legitimately, they're going to be disappointed that they didn't take three points away from them, so. from the position that they were in. Um, they're a much better side than Sheffield and Burnley, and I think we're we're past pretending that they're not. Um, but they're going to need to find more points in this league and and get above a Forest or a and probably a Forest. Will, yeah. I, don't, I don't see Brentford going down with Ivan Tony back, and Everton are too good to get relegated in the mismatch of teams that sit below them unless another point deduction comes in. So. Yeah, yeah, I I think Luton need to be winning the games that they dropped, but eight eight goals in a week is it, it's positive, especially the four nil. The four nil is a real positive for them. Yeah, I think what I'm really enjoying most about them is they are they do that thing where they park the bus when they need to against the shit teams, but then they recognise when they can get at someone as well and they try to, mm. and that's what I really love about it. It doesn't always come off because they are lacking quality in lots of areas, but they at least try to and the, like. They, they play a decent style of football when they – we watched that game when they played Chelsea and um, did they get beaten in the end or did they get a – Yeah, they got, they got beaten, they got but beaten, they nearly but got a penalty. Were, you know, the way they were the way they were attacking Chelsea, they were good to watch. Um, but, yeah, I like, I'd much rather a team like that be sticking around in the league um, than, like, you know, the old Sean Dyche Burnley, Burnley that we used to see and things like that. <laughs> what, Sean Dyche Everton? 
Yeah, so much Everton. Um, Aston Villa 5, Sheffield nil. I've got this in here just purely because I was watching back through this game and Sheffield were just an absolute disgrace. Like They were disgusting. And they were 4-0 down at half time. And every time the goal went in, like uh, they had um, Townsend was on special, special comms and he just kept going, wow, like wow. He just could not believe how open they were being cut and how clinical Everton were being as well. Yeah, um, I always know like when Liverpool have done it and Adelaide United have had it over the years, there's nothing that makes you feel better about your team playing football than when you win a game as easily as Villa did in this scenario. But yep. to win 5-0 and have five different goal scorers really gives you that vibe that a team is humming in the system that they're being played. It wasn't an anomaly of an Ollie Watkins or a, or a Leon Bailey or a Moose Diaby playing ridiculous and, and yeah. taking them away. They all contributed to this 5-0 result and it's a real positive for Villa to add to a bunch of positives they've had already this season. Yep, yep, and they just hummed. They hummed early. That was the thing. They'd come out. They knew if we could get at this Sheffield United team early and they just dispatched them. And the way to kill off a game like that, it conserves energy in the second half. They can attack the next game now, fresh as a daisy, ready to go again. It's just the perfect result away to a side that's already relegated. Definitely. Um, Ollie Watkins finished with two assists and a goal in the end, and he also had... The first one was cleared off the line and just went, the defender just couldn't get enough on it. And John McGinn ran in and smashed it into the net. Um, So he had a good day out. But Leon Bailey, someone we've talked about on here, uh, him and his competition for place with Musa Diaby, I think it just, it just proves how good competition for places are because Leon Bailey was not all that flash last season. They brought in Diaby, who we've mentioned on here, started the season on fire. And now Diaby can't quite get that spot back off Leon Bailey. He came on and he was on, or did he start or was he? Bailey started. No, I was looking at Diaby. Diaby came on uh, second half and he nearly scored a great goal as well. He came on for Bailey after 60 minutes. But Mm. uh, just competition for spots there, I think, is always important. It's just driving them along at the moment. And I I still quite like Villa. I'm still not sure where... I think they're going to finish. I I can still see them dropping away a little more, but they certainly have the goods there to completely dispatch teams like this. You would think they finish top six. Like, I can't see anyone beyond that coming and getting them. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Bournemouth Forest was 1-1. No one cares. Sorry, Bournemouth fans. Sorry, Forest fans. But Chelsea 2, Wolves 4. Now, Tommy, you want to cover this because you also want to chat Wolves uh, and their game against Man United, a big week for Wolves, uh, an unlucky loss in the end to United, and then a, a big win on the road at the bridge. It's You know, these are the difficult moments when you get two massive teams, although, you know, they're kind of misfiring this season. You get them in a period of four or five days. Yeah. You probably line this up at the beginning of the season and think, okay, how are we going to salvage anything out of this? Um, but all credit to Wolves, I think, in both games, that they've been able to, you know, manage the situation, perform as well as they have up until this point in the season, and then kind of realise our best, you know, attacking into our best results-based interest is to attack these teams. And so against Man United, I think they were just, they were beaten early. And that's why they copped the two, the two goals. Um, they end up, you know, they fight back because Man United are a vulnerable team and yep. Wolves have the quality and able to do this. Um, it, it's unfortunate they don't get a point from that game in the end. And if you had mapped out that they would get a point away to Man United and then uh, three uh, to Chelsea as well, you'd be laughing. I just, I just, I'm so impressed with them, and I've talked about them a lot this season. I think they've got so many weapons. Um, 
But what it, what it kind of falls back on as well is like I bemoan the the hyper-inflated finances in the Premier League, but what it does is it affords Wolves a financial base to be able to actually back themselves against teams like this because they have the yep. quality of a first eleven when they're all humming like they are at Wolves. And it just it just makes for a better football game, I think. Yeah, for sure. Cooper, anything on Chelsea, Wolves? Or- Not really. It's same old, same old for for Chelsea, isn't it? Um what can you I mean, what can you say? Um We've Mateus, done it to death, haven't we? I like, think so. Yeah. Um Mateus, they, they booed him off at half time and full time in this game, which was nice. Yeah. Mateus Cunha getting a hat trick that was noted to be his first in professional football in the last six <laughs> years. So good moment for him. Nice. Love that. We love Hatties at NSF. Um real weird moment. I was watching this game, but I the first goal for Chelsea, the Cole Palmer goal. Mm. This is like peak for me. This is I love goals like this. It so simple. Um, and it's just like it just shows how important just quick movement of the ball in a triangle. It's literally a pass from the winger into a striker's feet who lays it off the other direction into the path of a midfielder who plays it in for the for the winger making the run and and he slots it. I just love simple football like that. I do, do that also, more, Chelsea. Come on, sort it out. I do also want to know, uh, it was Wolves' first win at Stamford Bridge since 1979 and the first top-flight double over Chelsea since 1975. So that probably Huge. speaks a fair bit to the state of not just Chelsea, but also the direction the Wolves are trending as well. Yeah, yeah there you hard. go. Jump, right. Jumping them into the top half of the table, I love it. United 3, West Ham nil. This is a game I don't know what to feel about. Um, United... <laughs> I, I'm never happy to see Manchester Red get a win. I don't like it. I'd love them to lose every game if possible. But it was also kind of good seeing West Ham get a result they damn well deserve, all right, with this defensive nonsense, and they were completely battered here. And, I mean, the stats don't show they were battered, but uh, the scoreboard does, so I'll take it. Our boy Rasmus Hoyland is coming along nicely too. Uh, out, no, sorry, it's just me. You guys are off Hoyland, aren't you? <laughs> I, never, I didn't think he would click this season. So to see him score four goals in consecutive games uh, is surprising, but also the manner in which he scored some of these goals. The one against West Ham is is really well taken. Like mm, it is. Are they are they back? Are Man United back? Um, I don't know about back. Uh, Lissandro Martinez with a pretty significant, what looked like a pretty significant knee injury, and the early reading is that it's not very good news for Lissandro, and he is probably. United's most important player at this point in time. Um, that's a mega, mega loss for them. Yeah, absolutely. Just while we're here talking about United, I do just want to throw back. I know we're jumping all over the place. I want to go back to that winning goal against Wolves. Um, what's his mm. name? Uh, Manu. Manu, yeah. Kobe? Kobe Manu. Oh, that is delicious, isn't it? Mwah. Chef's kiss. I love the little nutmeg on the way in. If it was for anyone else but me, I'd, I'd be, I'd have been spamming it all over the world, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Young kid scores his, his his first goal for Man U or at Old Trafford. Just last minute winner. Well, it was what at Wolves. You ask for? So, oh, at Wolves. Sorry. Yeah. So it must you, be his first yeah. Man United goal then. Yeah. Over overthinking the name as well. It is in a ridiculous world for some reason. It is just Kobe. Kobe, not Kobe. No, just is it Kobe. A double B there. It's yeah, it's a double B. It is K O double B I E Kobe. Yeah, oh my right. God. what do I know? I just <laughs> Sounds like every third third kid in the northern suburbs. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, good on him. What a kid. Uh, I, it brought it brought a good smile to my face. I loved it. Great goal. Uh, dare we say Henri-esque. That's what everyone said when Martial scored a simple goal once, remember? And we were all meant to bow down and think he was the next 
the next great handball cheat in World Cup qualifying. Uh, last game. Arsenal 3, Liverpool 1. Cooper, fuck you. <laughs> Finally, he gets one up on the NSF derby. I haven't said anything all day, to be fair. I just, I, I, I did it for, for laughs, you know. You've been, oh, I, thought you were, I thought you were saving it all up for this. You were about to unload. Nah, I've got nothing to unload. You know, we're still going to finish third, so who cares? <laughs> you're very, you're very was, good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put the Tom, the Tom Ford Tim Foyle hat on here and go, this was one of those <laughs> games between two big six clubs that was fucking horrendous to watch. I can't believe that I stayed up until half past six in the morning to watch this. This was utter garbage. 3-1 win, four goals that were so avoidable. The best of the bunch is the uh, the Bukayo Saka goal. If if Habits finished that, it's a nice move, but the defending from Virgil van Dijk is utterly atrocious. Um, they were all over the place there, weren't they? This is, uh, this is the worst Virgil van Dijk game I've seen by a long, yeah. long, long, long way in my life. Um, and that's wild because he wasn't even the worst centre back for Liverpool in this one. Oh, <laughs> I don't think I agree with that. That I don't. Yeah, I'm, I it was pretty bad. That. Um, it was pretty bad. <laughs> red card for Canate aside, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, he he was terrible. He left too much. He either had to join the defensive line again or or go to Martin Odegaard because when you like we've we've spoken about how much how great we think Martin Odegaard is, and when you you give him that much time and that much space in behind to pick a pass, he's going to hurt you nine times out of ten, and he did. And I think Arsenal for the first fifteen to twenty minutes were were good value for that goal and dominated probably the majority of the first half of this game. Liverpool were very, very toothless. And then a poor moment at the end of the first half that let Liverpool back in, but they weren't able to take advantage of it. Arsenal were just, Arsenal were value to win this game. They did on, on the balance of how things went, they deserved it. But there's some shocking moments in this one. Yeah, definitely. Very happy to see, uh, uh, not happy to see Jesus out again. Uh, with yet another aggravation of an injury or it seems to always just, they always talk about it like it's the same injury and it just keeps happening. Well, like, mm. Just fucking go away, man. Just go no, to just club. fix it. Um, fix but it? Glad, very glad to see them start Kai Havertz there instead of Eddie and Keddy. I know Havertz hasn't not as far from played his best football in that striker position and he's he's done a decent job for Arsenal do it, playing a role in the midfield with Erdegaard, uh, but... I thought I thought he was pretty decent in this one. Uh, obviously, it, he's got to probably find a find a better finish there. All credit to Allison for the save for the one on one, but all's well that ends well. Ends in a goal, uh, but he made all the right runs, did all the right things. His 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 touch is is really good usually, so that was good. Um, I thought he rinsed Canate yeah. in this game, Habits. I mean, he's yeah. the one that draws the the two key fouls. He just he made him he look was shaking his head because he made Canate look so slow throughout this game, like. Uh, I just there were so many moments in it that you look back and you think he's so he's just half a second behind what Arsenal are doing at the moment, um, and that that's credit to how Arsenal played because they employed a really good press and it, it unsettled Liverpool and you know Liverpool could never get settled in this one. Let's we, here we do go. we have do we have the Canate do we have the Canate conversation here? Yeah, well, I was just going to say, do you want to talk about the cards? I don't know. What, well, do you really want to staunchly defend what he just said about Canate though? No, I don't think I, just, wasn't good. I was no, I don't think he was good. I just I was a little bit I was more okay. confused on the the Kai Havertz made Kanate look slow mobile sort of thing there. What mm. hurt Ibrahim Kanate in this game was Gabriel Martinelli being the fastest footballer in the entire of the Premier League and Trent Alexander-Arnold <laughs> doing what Trent Alexander-Arnold is instructed to do and to 
and leave that space at right back. But when Liverpool turned the ball mm. over because of how poor they were in this game, it left Canate one-on-one with Martinelli. And there was a moment yeah. in the first five five to ten minutes of this game where uh, David Raya came really convincingly for a cross, took it and unleashed Martinelli in an instant on the left wing. And it was one-on-one. He took this huge heavy touch up the wing and he just burnt Ibrahima Kanate. He was way too quick for him. And, and I mean, he would have been way too quick for anyone. True. Um, it may not even be but, a slight on Kanate. It might just be. Yeah, I think just the way that, that Arsenal it, They played. made him look slow. Yeah. Um, And yeah, he put the ball across and Saka missed an open goal um, with his head. Oh, the header. Be it, but, yeah. but should have scored. Um, But yeah, that just caused so many headaches for Kanate. And Havertz might have done well to you know, get in those deeper line positions that he was able to because of Canate's deeper starting position. But I think that was more of a result of how well Martinelli played in this game. I thought he was excellent. Yep. I want to jump on. Uh, I want to, I don't want to, I'm worried about time a little at the moment. I don't want to go too long, but if we could just talk about the cards, because I know we, there's a bit of chat going on about Gabriel was on a yellow when he brought down Nunez. Canate um, got two yellows that some are saying soft, some are saying fair. What's your take here, Cooper? I reckon I'm in agreement with you in saying that both of Canate's yellows and the Gabriel non-yellow, we'll call it, on the the Darwin Nunez foul, which obviously was a foul, I'd be happy to see all three of these not be cards. Mm -hmm. But especially the second Ibrahima Canate yellow and the the non-yellow on Gabriel, if one of them is a foul and a card, they are both fouls and cards. And that's where Ian Wright was saying after the game that, you know, we play, we're told, you know, rules are rules and we play in a day and age where... You know, Canate, there was nothing Canate could do when when Havertz knocked the ball past him and he was just there. There was no yeah, way Canate could, could get out of the way. He can't just disappear yeah. into thin air. I think like and Wright said, we live in a world where you don't get away with those things, and it's unfortunate, and I don't like it, but that's how it is. And then he started laughing, and he goes, "Well, I'm actually wrong because if you Gabriel Maglasius on the halfway yeah. line and Darwin Nunez five minutes later, then you do get away with these things." Yeah, and that's where people's frustration <laughs> comes from because we we need yeah. consistency. Right is great, buddy. I think if I can, I I hesitate to defend a referee. I think at full pace they do look like Canates looks very different to the Gabriel one. And I think the Gabriel one on Nunez is something you see a lot that isn't really given at all or even given as, because it wasn't even given as a foul, was it? And I feel like that happens a lot. Um, but the the ones where Canate, where they're one of my most frustrated yellows, I think, the Canate second one, is where, you know, someone's nicked it past you. And I think it's because he does slightly try to change direction and go with him. And I guess you just have to try and keep going Down the way the you're going and not uh, try yeah. to... I don't know. It's tough. And the game is so quick. It's too you know, I Like I said, I don't hate it. I, like, I think m- more often than not, players are getting yellows for them. I don't hate it, but I, I'd be okay with them not being given yellows. I think actually, like, the more I think about it, the first Kanate one, I think I probably am okay with that being a yellow purely mm. because it's yeah. like, it's it's Martinelli and, and Kanate. And if Martinelli can get that ball, um, he's... You know, he's a good chance to burn away from him there, and he's well, and it's just them two there. No, Kai Kai Havertz and Kanate actually on the, the last two there. And oh, no, sorry, Michael Owens' comment about this one was: if you watch it closely, 
Havertz backs into Canate and, yeah, and creates does. the contact. And then the first foul in the situation is Kai Havertz reaches down with his left hand, grabs a fistful of Ibrahim Kanate's shirt and pulls him in towards him. And he was like, as an attacker, that's what you do because mm, you, you're putting exactly. your hand out and you, you're back to goal. You're knowing where your defender is, right? That's what you do. Yeah. But then Ibrahim Kanate is a centre-back and he can't just stand there and let himself get rolled. So then he grabs a handful of shirt too and tries to win the ball and Havertz goes down and he said if, if it's one of those ones that's six of six of one half a dozen of the other you if it wasn't even yeah. given a foul i don't think many people would complain but i think once he has decided that it's a foul it has to be a yellow card because of so. the position that they are in on yeah. the pitch it's one of those ones again i don't want to defend the referee they do always look like they do always look like a defender fouling an attacker. Yeah, one hundred percent at full speed, and they do. My, um, but my my lack of yeah. defence on the officials here is that Anthony Taylor was the the centre official for this game, and he's a well known power trip referee. Yeah, um, there was ten yellow cards and a red card given in this game. The first of which was bet. Well, sorry, the first for Arsenal was Ben White in the thirty first minute of this game, who had a free kick put the ball down. Cody Gakpo stood on the ball, refused to move. Ben White kicked the ball into Cody Gakpo, trying to get Cody Gakpo booked. And then Ben White was booked for time wasting. Yeah. Whereas should Anthony Taylor not be blowing his whistle, running over there and telling Cody Gakpo to get 11 feet away from the fucking ball where he's supposed to be? Because there was never, he's booked Ben White for time wasting when Ben White never once had an opportunity to take this free kick yeah. because Anthony Taylor's not doing his job properly. Yeah. And the last thing he's trying to do there is time waste. He's trying to get the game. <laughs> the 31st yeah. minute and Arsenal were all over Liverpool like a bad rash. He's not trying to slow the game down. It's just, it, it's common mm. sense. That's um, almost that's almost Taylor punishing him for trying to dictate how the game's going to be played. Exactly right. Um, Arsenal were very unfortunate to not have a penalty in this game too. I thought um, Gabby Martinelli got in behind Alexis McAllister, who was tracking back, and McAllister. You know that awkward thing where he, he lunged across with his outside foot, mm. and it looked like an interception because it looked like he got the ball, but VAR had a good look at it and like for a decent period of time. And he stepped across to go for the interception. He didn't get the ball. And then as Martinelli was going down under the contact, he got he scooped again and got the ball. But the first mm. initial contact is a foul. And, and for me, it was a penalty. Um, there was a bit of talk during the week about David Coote was the VAR official, who was the VAR official in December when Arsenal <laughs> played Liverpool. And there was no penalty given against Martin Odegaard for the handball. And it was actually a few Arsenal supporters I saw questioning it. And I, and I don't think Premier League officials work like this. But they said, you know, David Coote made a mistake in this game on VAR. And um, Howard Webb, the head of Premier League officials, came out and, and told the world that David Coote had made a mistake and that he got this wrong. Yeah. Liverpool should have had a penalty. And now he's put him on VAR again. He said... There's an Arsenal supporter I saw, he said, you know, a little bit conspiracy theorist, but he said Liverpool are either going to get a decision, go their way to level one up, or Arsenal won't get something they should as a little bit of an evener. And I don't think David Coote's thinking that way. But no way. My, my question more is, how do these officials keep failing upwards? How do you how do you get a VAR job on a, on a game that this is part of deciding a title race, fuck it up, and then four weeks later you're back it on again. it again? Yeah. Nah, completely boys, baffling boys to me. Yeah, I don't get it. Um, it's got to be swings and roundabouts in football. That's all it is. He's not. He's not consciously making that decision. But no, there's just definitely there's definitely a subconscious idiocy <laughs> that's kind of overtaking any kind of thought. Howard, that he has. Howard Howard Webb joins Matthew Breeze on the list of head of the dickheads. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, go back and listen to last week's pod if you want to hear that <laughs> referee chat going off in the last few weeks. I think we might leave it there, but um. 
Yeah, swings and roundabouts of football, I guess, you know. There you go. Liverpool, stop sucking about the Odegaard one. Deal with it. Grow stop up. Stop sucking oh, about God. everything. God. Yeah, we beat you. Deal with it. Oh, God. All right. Okay, stop going on about it, Cooper. Um, City play. Who have City got in the morning? Brentford. Brentford, apologies. A team that they're going to beat. In the last game. So you'll probably have seen the result of that game by the time you hear this pod. But I think what, what, what Liverpool and Arsenal are both doing right now is looking over their shoulder because... We've both taken points off each other now and, um, you know, City are now, it's in their hands. You know, they're at two yes. two games in hand. They win them both. They're top of the league by a point. City, so. City have back-to-back Premier League fixtures. No teams will play in between the two times that City yeah. plays. So the next time that Liverpool and Arsenal take the pitch, City will be top of the league. Well, they could be. But like I said, Mark Flecken is scoring a hat-trick from in goal. For, in a 5-3 in a loss. So. No, well, <laughs> I forgot to count... Who do who do we have on our bench in our fantasy team? Pinnock. Does Pinnock play? Because he's coming on and scoring a few as well. Don't worry about Ethan it. Ethan Pinnock. He's, he's, right. he's due a weldy. He's good yeah, for sure. a weldy. Excellent. We're going to wrap it there. Thanks for listening. Uh, get around us on the socials. Get around the red editions. Get around us on TikTok. Get around us everywhere. Just share it with your mates. Tell everyone what we're doing. Get around the football. Go sports. Let's go. See you later. <laughs>